Welcome to episode 36 of the Harmonics Podcast. Um, don't have a sound effect machine this week, unfortunately, but there would be applause if there was. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a, it's a one-on-one this week. It's uh, it's me, Eric face Pope. to face. Yeah, face to face, head to head. Uh, and I'm joined by Kurt Davis, one of our esteemed co-workers here at Harmonics. Yeah. Kurt. Uh, I wanted Kurt to come on the show for a couple of reasons. Um, you are a, an encyclopedia. You're a walking encyclopedia of music. Yeah. Um, and also your band, The Conks, just played their final, quote unquote, don't, wanna, don't know if you want to use this word, retirement show. Yeah, that's true. This past weekend. Um, so I think that's, that's a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, <laughs> My encyclopedic knowledge of music. Yeah. So yeah, we've been I doing, actually wanted yeah. to participate in the hardcore one and uh, the ska one, but... Uh, <laughs> I didn't busy. get around to it. Yeah, so. yeah, you're a busy man. Yeah. Speaking of that, was your first band a hardcore band? Yeah, I mean, for 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 lack of a better term, I mean, yeah. at, at the time punk. when we started out, we were a punk rock band. And then sort of uh, that was when the transition between punk rock and hardcore was sort of going on. So we got much faster. So we were sort of a punk rock band that played really fast. And uh, yeah, we so we got put out on some compilation albums and. Uh, midwest hardcore comps and stuff like that right you're out in indiana repellents yeah that was yeah yeah now i had a a debate with someone after we put out our hardcore podcast saying like who even calls it hardcore well since when is it called hardcore it's just punk um and i was wondering if you coming up through that that era if there was ever a time where it's like Oh no, this is actually hardcore. Well, I remember when it happened actually was, yeah, I mean, there was like, there was a, there was a pretty clear, uh, dividing point at, at, at a certain point, like punk rock sort of switched from being sort of like, uh, at least in Indiana terms and probably a lot in the U S uh, you know, through the, the middle of the country rather than the coasts where people went from playing sort of dress up to sort of like becoming a, like a lifestyle. Yeah. And at that point it was like a more hardcore thing. But like the first time I heard the term hardcore was on the DOA record, the hardcore Hardcore eighty one or something like that. Hardcore eighty, I think it was eighty one. Mm-hmm. And so that at that point, when when that there that record sort of labeled the new movement, uh, the faster, thrashier sort of stuff. You know, before yeah. all the all the subgenres that we have now, right? Like, you know, what emo, skank, blitzcore, <laughs> thrash, metal. You know, I don't know. Yeah, you always have to throw a core on the end. Oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it. Drives me nuts. Swizz swank. Well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but that's cool. So you started off as a punk rocker in Indiana. Yep. Small town. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. About kind 30 miles north. Americana, classic Americana. Yeah. Very, uh, very rural areas out there. Yeah. Larry Bird. Was Larry Bird a big name at the time? Uh, Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Right around that same time. Sure. We all know. We knew who he was. And yeah. then I, I came to Boston. Yeah, I followed him here, you know. <laughs> That's not You're true. You're a bird groupie. That's not true. <laughs> Anybody that's listening, don't believe that. That's not true. <laughs> so you moved to Boston in when? What year? 86. 86. Yeah. 
and not too long spent after, spent about nine oh, months in Mississippi. Actually, really? Before, yeah, went from Indiana to Mississippi and lived in Mississippi for. You know, speaking of the blues, you yeah, know, um, which we haven't spoken. We about haven't yet. spoken about that yet. But, but yeah, this yeah. this episode we're going to dedicate to the blues, like we have for previous episodes to different yeah. genres. Going to jump around a little bit, but yeah. yeah so I spent some time in Mississippi, having nothing to do with the blues because at that point I wasn't. I wasn't really into it. I mean, it's funny, like one of the things that happened was when I was a kid, when I first got my own music to listen to instead of like whatever, you know, I was listening to it on the radio yeah. or my parents got me or what was this song from uh, one of these rock festivals. I don't know if it was Isle of Wight or, you know, something like that um, was Johnny Winter, a live track, Johnny Winter playing this song called Mean Mistreater. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I fell in love with that song when I was a kid and I used to listen to it on the headphones over and over. And some live track. And so later on, I started, uh, I went and got the Johnny Winter album and I started getting into Johnny Winter and Edgar Winter and those guys, which is ironic because they're albinos and completely white, the whitest possible, (laughs) you know, but that's how I, that was my entryway into the blues. And then when the punk rock thing came along, I sort of like divorced myself from all the music that I'd gone through because I was going to concerts and everything when I was like, you know, 14 and on up and that was all in the seventies. So I was going to the arena shows and weren't you big into kiss? I was a huge kiss fan. I saw kiss four times with the original lineup before they ever took their makeup off. (laughs) And then, um, you know, and, and, you know, I saw queen twice and I saw, yeah, it was awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I saw tons and tons of those arena shows. Then the punk rock thing happened and I sort of divorced myself from my musical past entirely. And then later on, um, after I, when I moved to Mississippi, um, I was into a band called the birthday party, um, who was Nick Cave's band. Um, and then the birthday party broke up and then Nick Cave formed the bad seeds and their first record came out right, right around that, right around that time. Uh, and I think it was their second record. The first born is dead. Um, had a song on there called Tupelo. It was about mm-hmm. Mississippi. It was sort of like combined the legend of of this John Lee Hooker song called Tupelo, which was about a flood and a bunch of people that died. Um, but he sort of wove it into this sort of like telling of uh, Elvis's, because that's where Elvis is from, was from Tupelo. Uh-huh. So he wove in this Elvis mythology and with that song. Anyway, huh. so then he also covered a Lead Belly song in in the in the uh, in the that you know around that time uh and so at that point that's when i started getting interested in going back and listening to the blues again you know right and so now you know uh, year many years later i've i have been listening to lots of old archaic blues and sure. going back as far as i can to listen to stuff and <laughs> Like that. So, so is that what led you to go to Mississippi? Or? No, no. Uh, the reason I went to Mississippi was just practical. My yeah. mother was living there at the time. Ah, okay. And uh, so she said that my girlfriend and I could move there and stay with her till we got enough money to go somewhere else. Gotcha. And then you came to Boston. Yeah. Not soon after that, not, not long after that, you joined a band called Bullet La Volta. Yeah. Uh, toured the world with Bullet La Volta as yeah. their lead singer. Yeah. Um, went to Europe five times. That's crazy. So you have, you have lived a lot of the rock star, uh, I don't want to use the word cliches. Yeah. Drove Rolls Royce into a swimming pool (laughs) through televisions at at groupies. Right. And, um, you know, did, did many, many, uh, you know, drugs off of my, yeah. yeah, Illicit substances off of the naked bodies of my co-band members. (laughs) <laughs> so here's something I've always wanted to ask you. I don't know how much you want to go into detail on that period of your life, um, but you played under a pseudonym. And where did that pseudonym come from? Well, you know, that was the, that was another holdover from the punk rock days in Indiana because when I was in the repellents, I, we used to make up names for each other, yeah. punk rock names. Everybody had them. And so, yeah, so I was Yucky Guy. And um, uh, my friend was Lumpy. And so in the repellents, we all took the last name of repellent. So it was Lumpy repellent, oh, Jack, nice. Jackie repellent, Dave <laughs> Jr. repellent, and Yucky G repellent. <laughs> so then when I came here, I just kept that name and ended up being the singer for the, the band with that name. Yeah. This is good. It's good, good branding, I think. 
I guess so. Yeah, some people still call me that, but you know, I don't know. If you Google it, you see some crazy pictures of you, <laughs> you like doing a flip shirtless. Yeah. At, at some some show somewhere. It was a pretty a pretty wild, <laughs> pretty wild time. <laughs> um, and in the '90s, you were in another band called Customize. Was there anything in between? No, I uh, went pretty much straight from Bullet La Volta into Customize. There was a period of time when uh when I was in Customize that I was also playing in a band called Bottleneck Drag. Uh, that was basically two friends of mine that had a band together and I just played like percussion with them and stuff like that. And then we lost our guitar player in bottleneck drag and started auditioning guitar players. And that's when, uh, Bob, the guitar player from the conks came in and played with bottleneck drag and, um, didn't work out with them, those guys. But, uh, he and I had something, you know, similar, uh, feelings about music and stuff we wanted to do. And, um, he was a friend of mine. So at that point we started uh playing together. And yeah. Started the Conks. And the Conks started what 12 years ago? Yeah, well almost yeah, tw- yeah, a little over 12. It was 12 years last September, yeah. So it was you Bob and a third fellow who John Porth, yeah. He came from what the rockabilly world? Uh yeah, he was in the Racketeers before. Yeah, he did some touring and recording with those guys. Cool. So the Conks just played their retirement show this past weekend. It was an amazing show. Were you there Nick? No, missed it. Yeah, I'm the only one retiring. I, I, oh, okay. I, so it's my retirement show. It was, our, <laughs> the it was the Kong's final show. show, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what'd you think of it? What? So, so it was you and a bunch of bands that, that you guys are yeah. friends with. Yeah, lots of our friends, yeah. We would have had a couple more bands if we could have fit them on the bill, probably. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It was a great night. It was a, a lot of fun, and it was a big blur. There were a lot of people there, and you know, lots of hugs, and you know, <laughs> hey, how you doing? <laughs> it was fun. It was great. Yeah, I, I was there. It was it was it was an amazing night of shows. Like all the bands, really brought it, if you will. Yeah. Um, this band, Tunnel of Love, who I hadn't seen before. I walked in actually during their set, and they're awesome. They were just playing on the floor with a group of people around them. Yeah. And people on the stage looking down onto them playing. I was like, Is this how this bar is set up for shows? What's going on? <laughs> and it was nuts. This dude like screaming and. So it struck me as a very like uh, Stooges sort of sound. Yeah, very stripped down. Yeah. They're almost they. The first time John, our bass player, saw them, said he's like they outconk the conks because they're just like even more stripped down and even more raw and even more in your face, you know, than we were. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think everyone that night had their own thing. Um, another band, the Tampoffs, which I'm going to go on record, possibly the best band name of all time, <laughs> um, or the worst, or the worst, probably the worst, actually. <laughs> In the best way. Um, they played a great set, and they're like super in-your-face, fast um, punk, I guess you'd call it. Um, and then you guys went on, and you played a, a tremendous set. Um, played a, a mix of newer stuff, most most of your, your, your bigger... We did go-tos. a lot of older stuff. We pulled yeah. out a bunch of older stuff, yeah. too, that we haven't played in a long time. So maybe they sounded new. <laughs> yeah no and the whole thing was great and you ended the set after three encores on a cover of led zeppelin's rock and roll yeah that was great <laughs> yeah we've, we we used to do that one every once in a while yeah yeah so we i don't know if people know but but so you sing for the conks but you also play the drums and you only play on two drums right and yet you still replicated the john bonham drum solo at the end of yeah, rock and right. roll which you know i mean the whole idea is absurd <laughs> which yeah. I, I like you know <laughs> make Definitely. it as ridiculous as possible and you know plus we take the song and i mean you know i, I don't sing like robert right. plant no. <laughs> <laughs> so basically it's you know it's like turns into this like shredded sort of uh visceral element of the led zeppelin song <laughs> but it's you know yeah whatever. yeah well, what I've always thought was interesting about you, Kurt, is you've lived through the Boston music scene for almost 20 years, over yeah. 20 years. And from my experience with so many people who have been in the Boston music scene for like an extended amount of time, like that's all they talk about, like how great the scene was and this band and that band. And you seem kind of over it. Like, you, like what I loved about the Conks is it wasn't about like hanging on to any sort of nostalgia. It was like just stripped down rock and roll. It wasn't about like. Well, I think there was a clear a, a clear idea that when we started the band that we wanted to pay tribute to our influences, but at the same time not sort of be like a genre band, you know. Yeah. So we wanted to do something that was like 
primitive and raw and stripped down and sort of like you don't have to think about it too much so rather than you know being heady music it was more like hip music you know uh, below the waist so you know it's just more just uh, for dancing or just having a good time basically instead yeah. of being anything that's supposed to be thought provoking or you know whatever it's just supposedly you know i don't know i'm all about escape anyway you know mm-hmm. so escapism social function you know uh music social function a lot of times gets lost i think because it's it's a commercial product now and um i think it's i think it's better served music is better served when it's actually doing something for people like i was thinking about this right you know about the, i was thinking about like i was i've been reading all these old punk rock books and uh interviews and stuff like that um and uh there was an interview with mick jones talking about the damned and he was like mm-hmm. telling them that you know they should be about something and their songs need to be about something and they're just about having fun and then you know then i read an interview with the damned it wasn't any in, in, in retaliation it was yeah. just, i was reading these at the same time and um the the people that were interviewing the damned one of them made this point you know there's there's one damn song where uh the lyrics are no crime because there ain't no law no cops left to mess you around you know and 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 there there's political statements in there even inherently even if they're not intended to be political statements you know yep. what i mean like the actual attitude of the band is subjects to a cultural change and it, and it telegraphs that very clearly, mm-hmm. you know, that you either are on this train or you're not on this train and, you know, and they're moving down the line anyway. So I think that's political anyway. And I think like anything that's got too strong of a message to it ends up dating itself pretty quickly, you know, at least for me, totally, yeah. uh, something that's more open-ended and something that doesn't have such a clear cut, uh, diameter, you know, yep. something that's not so clear cut just lends itself to little more um being more open-ended you know yeah not that i'm against no no you know like the dead kennedys are great you know yeah. and i like that stuff but you know who knows who pol pot is now you know what i mean <laughs> really you know and, it's and actually, you should know yeah, i mean right people should know and, and it become it, it kind of transitions from being topical to being sort of a history lesson depending on right right and i think all music's like that yeah. you know and i think that i think one of the most interesting ways to learn about history is through music you yes. know yes you know, it's a and, great a great transition into talking about the blues. Right, exactly. Yeah, the blues uh, is uh, you could take pretty much any type of of rock nowadays and trace it, trace trace a pretty bold line back to certain things. Well, basically, it wouldn't exist with yeah. You know, rock and roll would not exist if it rock and roll for the country, blues. country. Well, country and 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 blues and jazz all sort of in their very early stages shared a lot of commonality because it was, you know, um, because of the culture. And that's what, what I was saying earlier about the yeah. culture, it, you know, music being a byproduct of the culture rather than, than a, a product or something. So all those things that were, they shared a lot of stuff. I mean, I think that blues came late in the 19th century and jazz developed more early in the 20th century mm-hmm. uh, but they shared similar influences um with the spirituals and the field haulers and the stuff like that but i mean one of the interesting things also about the blues is that is that it sort of came as a byproduct from slavery and and after slavery was over then then the black people that worked on the plantations and stuff like that had you know juke joints on the plantations and then they would go and play music and gamble and drink at night and stuff like that after they'd worked hard yeah and that's another place where you know and then the church on sunday you know then that music that brought in the real role to it you know and so all those things sort of conglomerated together then if you move all those sort of influences and you take them down to new orleans where you have you know a french uh, uh, european culture clashing with it you know French music and um, and uh, the Arcadians and everything that are down there. Um, then it, they're playing with horns and everything, like doing you know marching bands and everything. Yeah, like they started playing brass. flourishes and started improvising and stuff like that. Yeah. So that became jazz. You know, it's it's an interesting way to to look back in history and see how these things developed, where they came from, and all. That. Yeah, that's what I was saying on last week's podcast too. Just like when we were talking about ska. Like tracing whatever reggae back to ska and then ska back to also back to the blues, frankly. Right, right. But um, yeah, I, that that's like I said then. As some people like comic books, I like 
music history like like what's the origin of this what's the origin of that because like i think like most or a lot of high school students or whatever you get into like led zeppelin it's like oh this is awesome right so they're playing like an electric blues like what's Right. What's what's this from? And you start like finding. So it's like you know, like a lot of their songs are covers. You know, like what is the original of this? And you go back and try to find. It's way easier now with the internet, actually. Right. I think, right. Um, to trace these songs back and then back to the original artist, and maybe that original artist isn't really the original artist. You trace it back to the real. Exactly. That's really true. Yeah, because a yeah. lot of it was passed down. Just it was developed as like, a, you know, just freestanding something that people would improvise over later and create their own words for the same tunes and stuff like that. But it hadn't been formalized, you know, at that point when it was developing. But like Led Zeppelin, the interesting thing is like you listen to like a Robert Johnson CD or something like that and then you, you hear this lick and you're like, Oh, you know, you thought Robert Plant was the one that came up with Squeeze My Lemon, you know? Well, no, uh-uh. It's been around a long <laughs> yeah. time, you know? But, yeah, or Backdoor Man. <laughs> yeah, right. And all the, and, and, and also, you like those medicine shows, you know, because the medicine shows were really important because what happened is then is people were traveling. And so people like Blind Willie McTell, who played in the medicine shows, had to learn, like, popular numbers of the day, like, from from town to town so mm-hmm. he would learn hits and parlor songs and stuff like that then he would play blues when he got down south and he would you know so you had to be pretty uh you had to have a lot of variety in your material yeah. you know to be able to keep up but you're also traveling from town to town so you're disseminating that stuff to the people that see you and and you have to be entertaining so people are telling jokes and yeah. you know there's a whole double so all very, the double entendres and everything yep. that come along with that it's yeah. very much like an oral <clears throat> an oral tradition sort yeah. of like I think up until that point, I mean, that, that's how music had almost always been. Like you had, I guess that by then you, you already had records and stuff like that, but like for the most part. Yeah, but it started out as an oral tradition, yeah, right? right. Yeah. And call and response and all that stuff. I think in the fields, you know, they would holler yeah. and then they would holler stuff back, you know, there would yep. be a, like a call and response. And same thing with the, in the, if you listen to the, the gospel stuff, you know, in the spirituals, it's the same way. Somebody will say something, they'll lead it and then you, they call back, you know, yeah. and that's started it. And then, you know, you had like the people doing like the whole idea of the toasting and stuff like that, you know, became uh, because in the bars, people would start making these toasts and, and really bawdy and, and some of them were downright filthy, you know, um, and, and they're, they're recorded. Some of those you can find on, the re- on recordings <laughs> and stuff like that. But, um, you know, they, they would try to top each other. So they would have like these battles to try to top each other and they would have, you know, different put down contests and stuff yeah, like that yeah. and try to put, put each other down and <laughs> in the funniest, most creative way, you know, to, to, so then the other person would not have any retaliation and that still continues on like through hip oh, yeah, hop and all sure. that stuff. Yeah. So it wasn't, am I right in saying that, that when, um, this fellow named Alan Lomax, uh, I can't remember his. Alan Lomax took up the mantle after his dad. His father, John Lomax, worked for the Library of Congress and started seeing the importance pretty early on in in like the 30s, uh, maybe even the 20s. But I think in the 30s was when it really got the money and got the recording equipment to be able to travel around and record, do field recordings of, of, you know, contemporary folk music at the time. Yeah. Which was, you know, so a lot of times they were trying to find... And he was, you know, for the Library of Congress. And then he, he started taking his son, Alan Lomax, on with him later. And then Alan spent his whole life collecting those songs as well. Yeah, and actually going, traveled all over the world. That's so crazy. I think that that's one of the coolest things, I think. Like, so much music today owes itself to this... I mean, this guy didn't... This, he didn't create the music, but he recorded it. They, they owe themselves to this guy who, like took it upon himself to go out and record all these individuals yeah. who people would otherwise have never heard of. All over, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a real interesting world. I mean, you think about like um and the recording equipment wasn't easily, you know, it was heavy sure. and it was bulky and it was susceptible to like, you know, the climate changes and right. you know, I mean, you know, where can you get electricity? You have to plug it in, you know, and all this stuff. Um so, you know, it's it's really pretty cool that that they have those things available those recordings available to us now. Yeah. And they've cleaned them up a lot and you can you can listen to them now. And they influence just multiple generations. Like, yeah. Like the first folk or first all the folk generations that 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 drew so many of their songs from those recordings. Well, it's interesting that's never really stopped. Yeah. You know, I mean ever since that happened, there's always been people that always go back and mine that material. You know, just constantly keep mm-hmm. feeding from that well over and over. And 
changing it, you know, to whatever extent that they do, be yep. it, you know, be it the Conks, be it, you know, whoever. Nirvana. White Stripes or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, right. Nirvana did like in the Pines, right. You yep. know, and now Lead Belly did a version of that song, but, you know, there are also country versions of that song, yeah. bluegrass versions of that song, um, you know, but that's what I was saying back then, the cultures, you know, especially like it was created by class structure, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of music was, was separated by class structure, you know, so you weren't. You know, if you were listening to classical music, you probably weren't into. But but once Lead Belly came around, then they started sort of like introduced him as a folk singer. He knew like 500 songs. Yeah. So they sort of took him around and, you know, broke him into like Carnegie Hall and stuff like that. And sort of, you know, so he became the darling of the folk world at that right. point, you know. And then that's that's when it that's when the liberals, you know, started getting into it. And then it became this political yeah. thing, you know. So it's interesting. So Yeah, it was a lot of songs with a lot of messages. Um, yeah, and Lead Belly became this big figure. I mean, obviously he still is. Is it true that when he was discovered, he was in prison? Yeah. Yeah, they found him in prison. He actually secured his release yeah. from prison by writing a song to the governor to get a pardon. And um, Was he in for murder? I think he was. He, did, he, he, he had originally been in for murder. I, yeah. think, I think he was serving a term for murder when he it's heavy. was released. heavy stuff. Pretty heavy stuff, yeah. But um, I think it was also self-defense. So I don't think it was like cold-blooded, premeditated yeah. murder. You know, I think that uh, words are exchanged, da, 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 you know, all this stuff happens. But, you know. I think part part of what's so enduring, not endearing, but how the music has endured so much is like, even way back then, it was some really dark subject matter. Like, um, I think probably one of his most covered songs is Goodnight Irene. Yeah. I don't know if he actually wrote it, but that's like what he, one of the songs he's known for. Yep. And that's like... <laughs> the last line is about taking Take morphine, morphine and dying, die, right? Committing yeah, suicide or that, jumping in the river and drowning. It's like <laughs> right, right. It's yeah. dark. It is dark. There's a lot of those songs that are like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and there's fun ones too, funny ones or whatever you know. But I think that the whole idea of the blues, you know, had to do with, uh, of you know the the word the blues being attached to that feeling of sadness or yeah. melancholy. But it's a very specific thing, you know. The, the blues is very specific. It means something unto itself, even though it entails melancholy and sadness or whatever. Some people say you could be happy or whatever, you know. But. There's a really cool, you found this cool YouTube clip of this old documentary of uh, Lightning Hopkins, right? Where yeah, that was great. Defining the blues. There's a lot of really great stuff out there on the internet. I, I, I wish I'd been able to see, you know, and also we were speaking earlier to, about the Library of Congress. Um, people should visit that Library of yeah. Congress site because they they dust off some of their old tapes and put them up there for free download. Um and I don't know. How, I don't think they leave them up there forever, but I think they leave them up there for a certain period of time, and then you can download like some of this old music and listen to it. And uh, yeah, there's a there's a great um, there's a great resource of um, uh, oh, folkstreams.net. Yeah, folkstreams. Yeah, okay. .net uh, is yeah, a great the resource. Are folkways, right? Um, well, or is that a, this is that folkstreams.net doesn't have anything to do with folkways, but okay. yeah, folkways yeah. that was a label. Yeah, but the folkstreams.net is, is it's it's a cultural compendium actually of a lot of stuff. It's got blues related stuff in there, but it also has things about you know culture like uh, quilt making. It has uh, Native American stuff on there. It has stuff about like outsider artists and stuff. But a lot of Americana, you know, people that fish with their hands in the bayou under the rocks and stuff like that. You know, crazy stuff like that. Yeah. So. So you have folks like Lead Belly, and then you have um, Robert Johnson, who we mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. Who I guess where Lead Belly was kind of considered more of a folk singer. Uh, he's a blues band too, but uh, Robert Johnson is kind of like the epitome of the classic blues man. Yeah, right? I think he's emerged over time as being, you know, sort of the figurehead for. Delta Blues, you Delta know, Blues. That's you what capitalize I was looking for. With a yeah. D and a B. Yeah, but you know, yeah, he. But he didn't. You know, he, he, he had the whole story with like making the deal with the devil at the right, crossroads. Right, all that, all that uh, makes for good copy. I totally, yeah. good for mythology and stuff. Good stories. <laughs> also, I mean, he's great. Yeah, you know, I really like Robert Johnson a lot. But he was like one of the people. I mean, it's important to understand that he's one of those people that um, sort of streamlined the form. You know, so like, there's a lot of songs that draw that you can draw a direct parallel to, to that were recorded that he listened to and then made his own versions of them and stuff like that. Songs by, uh, Sun House and songs by Skip James and songs by Leroy Carr and others. Um, 
Charlie Patton. There are songs that those that some of those artists did that he directly took his songs from, but he streamlined them to a, to a, a form that's um, it's easily digestible to to a casual listener. I think you know yep. it, it and um, sort of solidified a, a, a way for it to move forward uh, once other people heard him play it that way. So like he influenced uh, Muddy Waters and um, Elmore James, who then, you know, when the big surge from the South, everybody started moving North to get the jobs up in Chicago mm-hmm. uh, and the train line started moving up there. So there were all these stops along the train lines, you know, there's like St. Louis, Louis and yeah. Memphis and uh, then, you know, you get up to Chicago up north and uh, that's when the Chess Brothers started recording Muddy Waters and Elmore James. Well, actually, Elmore James recorded in Mississippi first, but and also Sun Records, you know, started out as a, uh, it didn't start out as a blues label per se, but it started they started out recording uh, blues guys and then selling the recordings to other labels. Yeah. You know, then Sam Phillips decided, well, if I'm recording this stuff and sending it out, why don't I just cut out the middleman and just make my own label and start recording my own music and putting it out myself and distributing it? You know, so then you got Elvis, Elvis and Jerry Johnny Lee Lewis, Cash. Johnny Cash, yeah, yep. Jerry Lee Lewis, and yep, you know, Roy Orbison, you know, on and on. But he was the first guy to record Howlin' Wolf. Was that Memphis, Nashville? Uh, that's in that's Memphis, yeah, yeah, Nashville. I, I can't remember. Maybe which. it is Nashville. <laughs> That's in Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting that you mentioned chess uh, because that sort of bridges it to rock and roll because Chuck Berry was a chess artist. Right, right. Started more and in Bo the blues. Bo Diddley, too. Yeah, Bo Diddley. And then kind of created rock and roll almost, arguably. Right. Oh, that's definitely, definitely true, I think. Um, Chuck Berry... Yeah, I wouldn't call him the first, the first, but he he also streamlined and, and created a certain form for. But he took a lot from country music. Chuck Berry did sure, you know, yep. a lot of the string bending kind of stuff, and yep. his the twang and his playing, you know, comes a lot from the, from the country stuff. So it's interesting how much you know. I think a lot of times you you know we have this perception that country music and blues are are very separate things, but there, there's you know Jimmy Rogers, one of the first great country stars. You know, sang blues, you know, and he yodeled, you know, in those songs and stuff like that. And yeah, that's, you know, you probably still people doing that now, you know. And oh, yeah. And if you listen to Hank Williams, like, <laughs> yeah, whether you want to define it as the blues, what he's singing is definitely the blues or all some sad songs. Yeah, right. Um, and he definitely, you, you know, that he was listening to some old black guys singing, you know. Yep. Yeah. And so I think Chuck Berry's interesting because apart from creating rock and roll and uh, all, all that followed what I wanted to bring back to the punk thing is like punks, like you said, they were trying to like, cause at, at their beginning, Led Zeppelin was at their height and bands like Led Zeppelin who were like this electric, like Eric Clapton cream or yeah. whatever, Derek and the Dominoes. That's this electric blues, like kind of overblown long guitar solos. And they hated that. Right. But like punk rock is all Chuck Berry riffs and chords. It's like three chord. You like think so. Yeah, well, I don't I mean. I mean to to begin with, like you look. Yeah, at, it it ended up being sort of like fast rock and roll. Yeah. Right. Right. So I always thought that was sort of ironic. It's kind of ironic. I think that. Well, I think. Well, I think that the punk thing was sort of trying to get rid of the uh, the overblown, really long, you know, yeah. drawn out songs. Sure. And the, you know, I, that was a very hippie thing. You know, that was a very drug related cultural <laughs> thing. You know, it's like. listen to this band play this 25 minute song you know it was like an awesome experience and you know i can totally see that go go with it go for it if that's where your headspace is go you know but at the time you know when punk was coming along it was like it was time you wanted something more modern you wanted something that was gonna but you know also i mean punk also is very strongly derived from glam rock you know and glam glam in england particularly glam was sort of this uh throwback to to rockabilly in many ways you know it was like space age rockabilly or something like that you know so and rockabilly you know comes from you know rock and roll which comes from the blues again you know yeah but you know there's a big era of like in the 40s um like very very pre-rock and roll you know the jump blues stuff that you know that you is is very necessary in the equation, and that sort of comes from the boogie woogie thing, you know, which sort of comes these, from ragtime. You know, how would you define these things for people who don't know, like, 
Well, boogie woogie. Boogie woogie is like, you know, more dancey. It it's that stroll, you know. It's and it's like I think it's like a twelve bar, eight bar, or something like. I don't know. I don't. I'm not a musician. I've been playing music for a long time, but I'm not a musician, so I don't know. You know. Yeah, But I know when I hear it. You know. But you know, it's it's that boogie woogie thing that that evolved into you know dance music in the bars and stuff mm-hmm. like that and so you know you have like uh, big joe turner and and all those guys winoni harris the big blues shouters you know like in the 50s and the 40s that were that really sort of set the course for rock and roll and then people like little richard you know who were there you know i mean when he you know like right now it's easy to see little richard and and people see him and they you know hear him go off and it's easy to sort of dismiss him as being like right. oh it's that kooky sort of guy with the wig act. and too much yeah. makeup right. but he's the real deal yeah, you know totally. i mean it, 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 if you draw a line you know there's a there's a big explosion and little richard's right there the cause of it you know he's Totally. Probably, probably one of the greatest rock and roll. Well, not probably. He's probably the greatest rock and roll singer of all time. You know. Yeah. And not to take anything away from Elvis either, because I think it's, I think it's, I think it's attractive uh, as time goes on to not be able to see things in context and to be able to mm-hmm. try to dismiss these people like Elvis. You know, people see Elvis as being like this, this, you know, the chubby guy in a stamp or whatever, or the dude that's, you know, that that's stuffing himself into a jumpsuit in Vegas, you know, <laughs> but, but, but really, you know, Elvis was the first, you know, the first guy to do that, what he did, you know, the rock yeah. rockabilly probably wouldn't have existed without him. He created, sure. he created this thing, you know, I mean, also, also super important in just rock and roll in general and getting that to the masses. And, you know, he comes right from the blues too. Yeah. You know? Well, he's interesting too. He's also sort of the first figure in uh, white people co-opting this music that was mostly uh, a, a black uh, culture, right? Um, and bringing it, you know, to the white world. Yeah, and he was getting airplay on on different stations, yeah, you know, in, uh, black stations and and playlists for the white countries too. Yeah, so so that's so pretty unusual that's, at the time. Yeah. yeah, I think that's interesting. So he did that. And that's sort of how he formed his career. And then in the 60s, you have like the, the British kids growing up with these blues records, also all white, and like realizing how, how badass this music really is. Right. You know, like rocking it up, pepping it up. And those guys, you know, I mean, a lot of times the, the, the British, you know, they really take things to heart. <laughs> you know, so I mean, a lot of yeah. those guys were really serious and very purist about what, you know. Sure. And and then, you know, consequently, like in America, we didn't necessarily, you know, we, we divorced ourselves from, from those guys and left them out to dry. It's weird how, how time goes by so quickly because mm-hmm. you have, uh, you know, rock and roll starts in the 50s and then by the mid 60s, you know, Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley aren't getting on the radio anymore. Right. It's like, it's only been, you know, what? It's only been six years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Seven years and they're not there anymore. And it's like, well, what happens? Well, they, you know, they started going over to Europe and they were really appreciated over there. And even some of the older blues guys, once they got discovered in England, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they started going over there and some of them would live in Europe, you know, so that England started doing a bunch of blues festivals over there before there was a resurgence over here as well. You know, and they started... Yeah, the I American, love that back um, and forth. The American blues uh, fans over here started going and actually, they they would look at their records and they say this came out in 1935. This guy could still be alive. And then they'd listen to the record and they'd listen for some geographical clues. They'd start looking in phone books yep. or they'd take a drive down there and they'd start knocking door to door. Oh, you know, and then that's how they found like a lot of those guys. Mississippi John Hurt. Yep. Sunhouse had another career. Um, Lightning Hopkins was John Lee Hooker. One. John Lee Hooker. Well, John Lee Hooker never really. He wasn't like rediscovered. He, he was. He was still around. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did go to England and tour with, uh, you know, white bands over there and stuff yeah. in the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I've always thought that dynamic was weird. Like, so you got bands like the Rolling Stones, the Yardbirds, Kinks, whoever else. Everyone. I mean, they're all sort of doing this this R and B stuff. And then they bring their thing to America and like, oh, yeah, and this sort of gets revived. And while they're getting big, you have like the Motown era and that's sort of going through its prime. And then that goes away 
And then you have a bit of resurgence of Motown in England again, like sort of in the later 70s, like the mod mod bands or whatever, like the Jam and Elvis Costello and all these guys start borrowing from like that Motown sound. I just think that that cycle, it's a cycle, but it's also like that geographical trading. I always thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I like how all this stuff is connected, you know, and and, uh, it's, it's interesting to think about how everything is connected through music like that. Yeah. It makes listening to music all the all the more interesting. I think to find out where it comes from. You know, you listen to a band totally. like, like the New York Dolls, right? Okay, mm-hmm. supposedly like pre-punk band. You know, New York glitter glam band, right? Yep. But you know, they were doing like you know songs like uh, the Shangri Laws and stuff like that. You know, yeah. which which is like New York girls from the Bronx. You know, <laughs> yep, uh, they were singing like on street corners and stuff. <laughs> um. Yeah, blow your nose, and then tell everybody about it. Yeah, it's uh, he's doing it now. He's turned his head so we don't have to hear it. But uh, okay, it's a clean wipe. <laughs> I'm sick, folks. What can I say? <laughs> I apologize. And we had sort of just to bring it full full circle when the conks came around. That sort of time period was a bit of a like not not just in Boston, sort of everywhere. It was sort of a bit of a garage rock kind of revival for a couple years, right? And you had bands like, um, well, obviously, I think the biggest that came from it, uh, despite your thoughts, uh, The White Stripes, and a ton of their their first couple records, a ton of the songs on them were very much blues, blues songs. Yeah, they, they were went, ripping off Sun House and stuff like yeah. that. You know, they knew they knew where it was at. Yeah. They were coming from the same place. I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting that at that time a lot of bands were coming around with sort of the same influence because we wanted to play like <clears throat> we ended up morphing into like more of like a punk rock yep. garagey band but we started out being a lot more rootsy Bob played slide almost all the time <laughs> John was playing an upright bass but um, when we were doing like, didn't you say that collapsed on stage yeah it fell apart <laughs> on stage it was taped taped together and and uh, we actually had a harp player for a little while. A uh, guy played harmonica. Nice. with us. Was that the guy who was at your show? No, actually, no, that's he, a friend of yours. Or no, that's just a buddy of ours. Yeah. yeah. No, Ed, our guy, uh, our guy that used to play harmonica with us. He he lives in uh, he's in North Carolina now, so he couldn't be here unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I miss him. But yeah, but we were a little more stripped down and a little more rootsy at that when we started. Yeah, and we were a little more. Um intent on paying tribute to like Bo Diddley and Link Ray and stuff like that. It was a lot more, we, played, we were doing like Muddy Water songs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then right along the same time, like seriously, like the week we started playing and the week after we started playing, I saw Mr. Airplane Man out on the street. I saw Margaret and Tara playing. Um, she was playing slide guitar and Tara was playing buckets, you know, and they were playing like this old Delta Blues sound and stuff. And I was like... Hey, you know, and then I bumped into them at a Fat Possum show at the House of Blues a couple weeks later. And I was like, you, the girls I saw playing out on the street. You guys were <laughs> awesome. We're in a band sort of like that, too. We got to play together. And, you know, to this day, they're like, you know, really, really close friends of ours. Yeah, so. yeah. I think it's always, I'm someone, as you know, that likes to complain a lot about the state of modern music. And I think it's. You know, it's easy to say. It's easy to say, oh, it's all crap. Oh, Pope. Not yeah. me. I don't do that. <laughs> um, it's so, it is easy to say everything is crap, but I think what is, what, what's the word? What is um, heartening is that things like the blues never goes away. It'll come back in cycles in terms of popularity, but you, you have this, this root this root uh, type of music that that's always going to be there and bands will always be starting up and like learning these blues riffs. Le- yeah, learning I these think so. But like- I also worry though. I think that the people that actually play- earlier when I, just a couple of minutes ago when I said a, a fat possum show for the people that don't know fat possum is a, is a label, a record label that you should look into. Um, and uh, they released records by Junior Kimbrough and uh, some other T Model Ford and some other great artists, and they would send them out on tour. Sidel Davis they do and stuff like that. King Con Barbecue. No, not, I don't no. think so. No, I, they weren't doing much uh, too much modern stuff. They're doing a couple now, but um, but anyway, they would send these the the sort of last generation of these blues guys out on the road, and um, I think that you know even though Junior Kimbrough's son I think is still playing and. Uh, 
some of those guys are still playing. Uh, I think that, you know, the real down home, like real authentic blues stuff is, I think is dying. Sure. You know, yeah. People are learning the form. People are learning, you know, but that's, people are learning the, 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 the four and the 12 bar, the eight bar, you know, yeah. phrases and stuff right. like that. I, I suppose, nothing wrong with that. I'm no, not saying, yeah, you know. yeah. I suppose the argument could be made, not by me, but I, I think it could be probably made that what the blues was in its time is still happening. It's more in like hip hop. I think, I think that argument could be made. Oh yeah. There's definitely similarities. I mean, I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of where it comes from has to do with sort of wanting to transcend your environment mm-hmm. and you know, you want to, you know, that's why people brag. That's why people like to go out and spend all their money on a Saturday night right. and feel like they're rich, you yeah. know? And I think that's where all that stuff comes from, you know? Sure. Like, like you said, like, if, like there are lead belly songs. That's just about that exact yeah. topic. And you know how, and, and what a badass you are or, you know, <laughs> somebody else, it, it, you know, isn't worth doodly squat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I, yeah. I think that's, that's probably always going to be that way. But I think, yeah. I, I think people... You know, yeah. I mean, the good thing is that the music's always going to be there for people to go right. back and listen to and find and discover, and you know, it's there forever now, which is great for little white kids that grew up in the Midwest like yeah. me. You know, yeah. Like I was telling you, I went to the Smithsonian recently to one, the American History Museum, and in the gift shop they had stacks and stacks and stacks of all these uh, records from from those field recordings. Yeah, like, there's more than any you can ever listen to. <laughs> crazy, super specific. Like it was like. Swamp bluegrass played by twelve-year-old girls, like it's yeah, so right, specific right. And, and, right. and just like this wealth of of music. Yeah, I've got like tons of that stuff, and yeah. this is like I, I always find it really incredibly rewarding, and and also surprising that no matter what genre of music that you decide that you want to like investigate. There's an endless supply of it out there. You know, yep. you want like 60s garage music, you, you can you can collect those records until you die and not have them all. <laughs> right. You'll never hear them all. You know, punk rock from the 70s, you know, it's like, forget about it. You're just not ever yep. going to come to the end of it. And those old blues guys, man, every time you think you've heard the last, you know, the, the last dude beating on a piano in a rugged, <laughs> you know, dirt floored room... <laughs> there's more yeah. it's more and more and more and it's, yep. it's like that with everything you know and now the way culture is you know with all the with all the uh all the uh technology being so available to so many people i mean imagine what's going to happen in the future right. there's geniuses out there that are making ridiculous music right now that we'll hear later and it's either going to be totally totally awesome and blow your mind or it's going to be so absurdly outrageously outsiderly ridiculous that it's going to be <laughs> awesome you know i can't wait to yeah. hear those kind of things you know because it's it's there for everybody. Sort of you like know, Bob Log, you know. Well, <laughs> well, you Bob Log, he's a mainstream pop artist, <laughs> you know. I wouldn't <clears throat> say that. I don't know how many people know Bob Log. Well, I, I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I'm talking about. Yeah, you're talking about crazy outside. The I'm box. talking about like you know, yeah, people that you know wouldn't have a, a, another outlet for whatever they got in them. <laughs> Yeah. It's in them and it's got to come out, you know, like John Lee Hooker said. Boogie chill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Well, I think that's a good note to wrap up on. Yeah. Unless you had any and, uh, points. I, I, I want to say also that uh, I know that you guys are posting things up on the forums about mm-hmm. like harmonics recommends. Yes. And I, I'm not registered on the forums. Well, we can hook you But up. I'll give you some links uh, for some stuff because I'm going to recommend some books. And some websites for people to go to Perfect. instead of just music, because I think people should be reading about this stuff too. I want yep. to, I want to put uh, people, uh, I want to put books in front of people. You should be reading, folks. <laughs> Stop listening to this podcast and read, or listen to it while you're reading. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Kurt, or maybe this will have inspired you to read something. You know, yeah. there's some really good stuff out there. Totally. Thank you very much. I think this was a really yeah. good discussion. I think people are going to like it. I hope so. Um, send us your comments, everybody. Um, uh, just a quick bit of news where I'll go through the upcoming DLC. Feel free to comment if you want, or we'll okay. just bl- blast right through it. So today that you're listening to this, or the day that this podcast comes out, even though we record it in advance, it's not a live stream, is February 11th. Um, and as of today, we've just put out a pack called the Valentine's Duets Pack, or I think it has an even sillier name, like the February Heartaches Pack or something. But... Now that we have Rock Band 3 with harmonies, um, 
we hadn't really taken advantage of duets in music, and we can do that now. So we put out a pack of duet songs that are really kind of really stupidly fun to like more fun to, to, to sing than I thought they would be. It's uh, kind of going back to the karaoke roots of, of rock band here. Uh, but the track list is Animotion's Obsession. B-O- Which one is the song? Oh yeah. Obsession is the song. Animotion is the band. Okay. You know, one of those eighties synth bands. Um, B.O.B. with Haley Williams a song called airplanes, which I didn't know what it was. And then I listened to it. I was like, Oh, of course I know what that is. You'd know it too. Just from like, it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere right now. It's, it's popular. Uh, Bonnie Tyler's total eclipse of the heart, which is a karaoke go-to for every time I've ever gone to karaoke. Uh, human leagues. Don't you want me? Lady Antebellum's Need You Now, Meatloaf's Paradise by the Dashboard Light, which is, at this point, a classic, (laughs) Uh, and Stevie Nicks with Tom Petty, uh, Stop Dragging My Heart Around. So you can buy that now. And then our next, oh wait, did I say that today is the 11th? Oh yeah, I did. did. Right. Oh, no, that's right. Today will be the 11th. So that's actually all I can announce right now. <laughs> You're Math a pro. Is hard, You're guys. a pro. I hate we have to record it a week ahead. It's so confusing. Um, so that is it for our DLC announcement. Uh, I can't say the next one because we're not to that point yet. Um, but enjoy Ooh, those songs. It's a secret. They're really fun. Um, and uh, stay tuned. Uh, hope you come back next two weeks from now for our next episode. We're going to talk that's about Klezmer. Sure. We'll talk about Klezmer. Talk about uh, clogging. Oompa bands. Yep, polka. <laughs> uh, so thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Kurt, thanks for coming. Uh, check out the Conks online. Uh, they might not be playing shows anymore, but you can still buy their music and support uh, their their children. <laughs> so the Conks, as you might know from Rock Band, we have one of their songs. But uh, great, great stuff. I believe the podcast will be a bookended by a couple of the Conks songs. So enjoy, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh-huh. Shake the baby